Good morning, everyone. My name is Doug. I get to be one of the pastors here. Uh, today, we are going to continue with the almost brand new series entitled The Life of Paul with part three. And I'm going to call this the new life, new living of Saul as we look at part three. The goal, one of the goals of preaching this series is that we may know more about Paul, but not just in a way that makes us like a trivia pursuit champion or a Jeopardy expert, like I'll take the life of Paul for 200, please. Name the place Paul was traveling when he was converted to Christianity. That is incorrect. When you play Jeopardy, you must answer, what is Damascus? <laughs> Pay attention today. I'm glad when you follow right along in my notes and I don't have to make something else up. Uh, but the goal is to better understand him. Uh, who he was, how he thought, because after all, he wrote 13 or 14, depending on how you're going to count one of the books, of the 27 books of the New Testament. So what was written by Paul really is going to matter for us. It's going to seem to be valuable for what we know about him and his life. But knowing Paul is not the primary goal of the series. Knowing Jesus is the primary goal. Knowing the work of Jesus is the primary goal. Knowing God is the goal because to know God is to know eternal life. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. That's the primary goal of this series. That you have eternal life because you know the one true God. Jesus Christ. And once a person knows Jesus, he or she will make life applications on the leading and the help of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what we're going to see happen in the life of Saul today. That everyone who knows Jesus, there is a big change that happens. So where we've been so far in parts one and two, this series, that we've learned some things about Paul. We learned that his name, Saul, is also Paul, but today he's still Saul. All right, he's going to get a name change coming up, but not yet. We learn that he was a Pharisee, highly trained in Jewish traditions of the law. He insisted on strict keeping of the law. The group, this group of people, they were extremely self-righteous, and they had a lot of influence on how things were done. Third, we learned that he originally rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and that he hated Christians, people who were known as followers of the way, and he made it his life mission to persecute and even kill these kind of people. And four, we learned that all that changed. Changed instantly when Jesus made himself known to Saul. While Saul was en route to Damascus to do what Saul was all about. Persecute Christians. With flashing lights and the voice of Jesus speaking from heaven. God blinded his eyes and God called Saul. And Saul changed his mind about Jesus, and that changed everything about Saul. It changed who he was as a person. It changed his mission and his purpose in life. And from life's, the life of Saul, we can gain some applications from the Word of God for our own lives and our own circumstances. We apply the truth that no one is too bad, that no one is too lost, that God can't love them and call them and save them. Saul went from a murderer of God's people to one of God's people. 
If God's love can change Saul, then certainly God's love can change me, it can change you, it can change anyone. I want you to look at how Saul describes this change in his life in Galatians 1, verses 13 to 15. Saul is talking to the Galatian people, and he said, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. See, Paul is now far removed from living the way he used to live, but he still remembers, and he tells them, verse 13, I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree, and I tried to destroy it. Oh, yes, you did, Paul. You were killing people. Verse 14, I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. He was an elite Pharisee, respected by all of his peers. Verse 15, but, one of the best words in the Bible, but when God, who from my birth set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, when was that? On the road to Damascus so that I could preach him, Jesus, so that I could preach Jesus among the Gentiles. Saul, who is now Paul when he wrote these words, is able to recognize that even from his birth, God had set him apart and had a calling on his life. And God had to be so, so, so patient with Saul that at the exact right time, boom, Jesus showed up and it rocked his world. And God is so, so very patient for all of those that he calls and he sets apart. So maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe it just recently happened or it happened long ago, but it is a big boom when Jesus reveals himself and changes a person's mind about Jesus. Have you changed your mind about Jesus like Saul has changed his mind? about Jesus. That's where we've been for the last two weeks. Part three is the start of Paul, Saul, living a whole new kind of life. Because when Jesus changes a heart and a mind, there is going to be a big change. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. A new creation, not sort of new, not partially new, not kind of new, is new. And the old things, it's the old way is living is past. Saul begins to live a new life. The old stuff is out. It's gone. It's over. Kaput. Useless. Old Saul was a terrorist of Christians. Inner new Saul, he begins to be a teacher for Christ. All things are new in Christ. And the passage that we're going to look at today, I think it covers about three to four years of Paul's life, best I can tell. These years would be described as his very early, early ministry years. And the passage picks up right where we left off last week when Mario covered Acts 9, 1 through 22, with the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus and all the things that surrounded it him getting the papers to go to Damascus to further persecute the Christians and, and everything there when he met Ananias and he got baptized. So I want us to pick up in Acts 9 with a running start right in the middle of verse 18 with Ananias talking to God's chosen instrument. That's how he, God describes Saul as his chosen instrument. So verse 18, Ananias is talking, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Saul was a changed man, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, a baptized man, a man with a full stomach. That's a happy man. And now he's got both this physical and this spiritual energy, and he is ready to go. Saul with the disciples in Damascus is there for some days, it says, verse 20. And immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. And what was he proclaiming? That he is the Son of God. That's always the right message to preach. It's always the right thing to proclaim. Verse 21, But all who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man who in Jerusalem was destroying those who called on this name? And then, and he came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priest? But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. And after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples. But they were afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all of, Gal all of Judah, Galilee, and Samaria had peace being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in number. So Saul's new life starts in Damascus, doing the very thing he utterly despised just days before. Immediately, verse 20, 21 says that he began preaching and proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And the people around him were like, huh? What is going on here? Isn't this the guy who came to destroy people who talked like he is now talking? Saul has changed. Saul is living a new life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it is founded on Jesus, the Son of God. And what's really interesting, at least interesting to me, is what verse 22 says, that Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. This is so interesting to me because just a little earlier, there was another guy named Stephen. Remember him? And when he talked... He was confounding all the Jews and the Pharisees. Saul was probably one of the guys standing there that was confounded by this guy, Stephen. And Stephen had an answer for everything. And now it's Saul. He's talking the same way that Stephen was. It was having the same effect on people. Just like when Stephen talked, they were cut to the heart, gnashing of their teeth. And now they wanted to kill Saul. Verse 23, after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. You talk about role reversal. He went from a persecutor to being persecuted. Saul went from a mouth of gnashing teeth 
when he would hear anything that had to do with Jesus, to now having a mouth who couldn't shut up and say enough about the goodness of God. Jesus, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, and just like Saul in his old days wanted to kill Stephen, now the Jews want to kill Saul in his new days for preaching about Jesus. But Luke says he escaped into Jerusalem. But there's more to the story than just what Luke tells here. Apparently, it wasn't only the Jews that were out after him. There was also a king from a government official who was after him as well. Paul gives us these details of what's going on in his life in Galatians and in 2 Corinthians. It's at the same exact time, so I want you to know that Acts 9 is not the only reference about Acts 9, that Paul himself talks about this time period in his life to both the Corinthians and to the Galatians that Luke doesn't mention. In Galatians 1, he says this, that he went to Arabia for three years, and then he returned to Damascus before going to Jerusalem. Well, what happened during this time? I don't know. We don't know much that happened. One thing that Saul told us, the Galatians that he told, was that he had spent three years in Arabia. Look at this in Galatians 1, 11 and 12. He told them, now I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached to me is not based on human thought, for I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation from Jesus Christ. Saul wants the people to know that what he was preaching this gospel, that it wasn't his own idea and that he wasn't taught by someone else, but that it came through a direct revelation of Jesus Christ himself. Maybe it was during these three years that Saul, while he was in this isolated land of Arabia, Jesus directly equipped him for what he was preaching and teaching. Don't know for sure. Regardless, Saul made it a point to clearly say, Jesus Christ was his teacher. They taught him directly. It's also likely that something else happened during these three years. That there was a king out to get Saul. 2 Corinthians 11. Saul told the people there, in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, and if you do some digging, you would find out that King Aretas is a king of Arabia. Saul said, King Aretas guarded the city of Damascenes in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. That's probably the same exact basket of Acts chapter 9. But Luke doesn't mention that. Luke only mentioned the Jews were out to get him. But Paul here, he says that there is a king also out to get him. The Jews wanted him dead. Aretas the king wanted him arrested. Why? Probably for the same exact reason. Saul preaching that Jesus was the son of God. And that made people angry and mad to the point of violence and wanting to hurt Saul. And there's some great points of application that we can take here before we leave Damascus and head with Paul to Jerusalem. And that would be one, this, that Saul's new way of living was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Which means we can know something about God. That he equips, he equips his followers himself. God is active in the lives of his children. He's not a deadbeat dad. Yes, preachers and teachers are helpful. Yes, Christ-centered books are wonderful. Same thing could be said of great podcasts and godly social media out there. But here, clearly, Christians have everything they need in the Holy Spirit 
to live a life full of joy and a life that is pleasing and honoring and worshiping to God. And I think we can also see here from Saul's life that Saul's new way of living didn't mean it got any easier. It got harder. It's a false teaching when someone would say, hey, accept Jesus into your heart, believe in him, and everything will be great. Ah, it happened to Paul. Which means we can know something about God. That he allows even his followers to face and suffer persecution. He could have kept all this persecution away if he wanted to, but he didn't. He allowed the persecution to happen. Following Jesus Christ is not a cakewalk. Jesus himself said, if a person is going to follow me and my ways, let that person heavily consider the cost. Consider the risk. Consider the price of doing it. And oh, we should be a people who are really really, really thankful and praise God that we live in a country where there is such light persecution of Christians. But it ain't like that everywhere. We today will have brothers and Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ who will profess Jesus is the Son of God and they will be executed today. And that has been going on since the days of Saul. God, I'm, I'm getting ready to move this sermon into Jerusalem. But maybe there are some here who just need to stop right here with these thoughts of what's happening in Damascus and change their mind about Jesus to heavily consider the power of the Holy Spirit or the lack of the Holy Spirit in their lives. To ponder the cost of following Jesus. And I would just ask that those who need to do that, Lord, that you would, you would be their central focus point right now. That I would even just drift away out of this. And that those who can come on with Jerusalem, that, that will go. Amen. In Acts 9, verses 26 and 27, it says that when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe that he was the disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how, Damas and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. It's pretty obvious why. They were afraid of him because of his former reputation of hunting and hurting and killing followers of the way. And now three years later, this guy is back in town. And though they may have heard that he's a changed man, they didn't trust him at all. Perhaps they were very leery of him of being like a spy. Like, he's just going to try to get in with the group, get with the top leaders. They're going to get right in there with him because he really doesn't believe any of this. This is all false teaching about the Messiah and the resurrection and he's saving people from the sins. What better plan is it than to pretend to be one of those followers and get real close to all those top leaders and then wham! I woke you up. 
get them all and just end all this nonsense of followers of the way. Maybe that was what they were thinking. But enter into the story, enter into the life of Saul, a man by the name of Barnabas. Unlike Ananias, who received a vision from the Lord to go and meet Saul, it doesn't say that Barnabas had a vision to go talk to Saul, but he just went and did it. Just like Saul had a name change later in his life, he's going to eventually be called Paul, Barnabas also had a name change in his life. His real name was Joseph. And just like we have seen time and time again in our recent studies here of the Bible, there are some really common names in the Bible. Joseph is one of those names. Joseph, this Joseph was a Levite, and in Acts 11.24, he is described as a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He is a well-respected person in town. And the apostles gave him the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement or son of exhortation. And that's exactly what he did for Saul when he came to town. Mario's announcement about some of you are new to town and you need to meet people. Ah, Barnabas-like. Luke says that Barnabas went to, went to Saul, asked him about what had happened to him on the way of Damascus, and after hearing Saul's story, Barnabas was convinced. He was convinced that Saul was the real deal, that God had changed him. And Barnabas personally takes Saul to meet the apostles. Luke seems to be very general in what he says there in verse 27 when he said that Barnabas took Saul to see the apostles. But Saul is very specific in what he says, that he says, I only saw two apostles. In Galatians 1, 18 and 19, Saul said, After three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Saul said that he saw two apostles. And yes, two is plural. So Luke wasn't wrong when he said, I saw the apostles. But here, Saul is very specific in saying, I saw two. Cephas was one. It's another name for Peter. Saul went to Jerusalem. And after Barnabas convinced Peter that Saul was legit, that he was truly a changed man and a, one of the followers of the way, Saul and Peter hung out for two weeks and a day together. And we don't have a written record of what they talked about, but I can imagine how they must have hit it off. You've got Saul, the former educated Pharisee, the expert of the law, and Peter, the unlearned fisherman, hanging out for two weeks. But Peter, who's one who walked closely with Jesus, one of his disciples, Man, the stories that Peter must have told Saul about Jesus. The miracles, the healings, the teachings, the lessons. I could just see Saul on the edge of his seat saying, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. For 15 days, they got to know each other this way. And there's going to be more about these two and their relationship coming up later in the life of Saul. But for now, just know that it was in Jerusalem that this friendship started with each other. Barnabas took Saul, the guy known for killing Jews, known for killing uh, followers of Jesus. He takes him right to the ringleader's headquarters to meet the apostles. Can you imagine the look on their face when the door swung open and there's Barnabas standing with Saul and Barnabas says, hi guys, I got Saul with me. 
He's trying, they're trying to hide from this guy. But based on the next two verses in Acts 28 and 29, whatever Barnabas said to these apostles must have convinced them. Barnabas was well known and trusted. His reputation was able to win out over Saul's troublesome reputation. Because here in verse 28 it says, Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. They took him in. He's part of the brotherhood. Brother Saul, just like Ananias called him back earlier. Brother Saul. And Saul jumps right into the action, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord and debating with the Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic Jews, that's a group of people, again, that have been mentioned in the Bible, and they were probably involved with stoning Stephen. They were there with him, and they were there with Saul. And now they see Saul, he's flipped sides. And they didn't want anything to do with the message of the apostle Saul. Of Saul. And just like the Jews in Damascus, and just like King Aretas, the Hellenistic Jews attempted to kill him. Man, oh man. We're starting to see a, pat a pattern here that the message that Jesus is the Son of God and speaking boldly this way about the Lord, that message seems to be awful offensive to people. Why is the gospel message so offensive to people? John 3, 19 and 20 gives us some of that answer. This light, Jesus, has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practiced, practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. God loved the world by giving his one and only Son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, will not spiritually die. And the way that this happens is that those who believe in Jesus, that they believe that he is the light, and that when Jesus exposes this sin, instead of, of avoiding that reality of their wickedness, they confess their sin, they repent, they change their mind about Jesus, and God forgives them. But there is also a group who instead of believing that Jesus is their only eternal hope, they love the darkness and evil acts. And when they are exposed to this light, by the light of Jesus, when they're exposed to that, instead of repenting, they get really mad and defiant. They get defiant about Jesus, they get defiant about the gospel, and they get defiant about the person who's telling them about the gospel. Just like we see the Hellenistic Jews doing. So once again, Paul is on the run. He is fleeing for, for his life. And now with his new friends from Jerusalem, he again escapes and they send him back to Tarsus. And that's where we'll pick up, God willing, next week, part four. And let me just say, two weeks ago, uh, not two weeks ago, two days ago, yesterday, and yet again this morning, Mario comes bouncing into my office like Tigger does in Winnie the Pooh, saying, I cannot wait to preach part four. So, be here and bring someone with you for part four. But let me end this with the last verse here, verse 31, and close with some applications for us to again consider for Paul. Verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judah... 
Galilee and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. Doesn't that sound like, and they all lived happily ever after? I want, it, I want it to sound like that for you. I want it to be comforting. These verses are a comfort for us. The persecution of the church didn't end just because Paul left town. No, persecution stayed. It probably intensified. But though the church faced threat after threat and trial after trial externally, the church experienced great peace inwardly. That's really good news. To those who are his followers peace comes from being built up and walking in the fear of the lord in other words peace comes from respecting the lord walking here is just another word for the way we would say living living in the fear of the lord and peace comes from the encouragement of the holy spirit because it's the holy spirit that allows us to have a relationship with god so we live humbly prayerfully dependently on the holy spirit and no matter what, no matter if there's murderous attacks on the church, if there's, there's this heated opposition against the church, Jesus is still building his church. Do you realize more and more people are still coming into the family of God? More and more people are being saved despite the persecution? And so there's some applications here for us now where we see Saul in Jerusalem. The power of the Holy Spirit's at work in Saul's life. We still see this power, this boldness that the Holy Spirit continues to give Saul where he's boldly preaching in the name of Jesus. And if you are in Christ, you have the very same Holy Spirit empowerment in you. Whoa. And two, we certainly still see the ongoing persecution that Saul is facing and that God is allowing. But notice how God is being incredibly gracious to Saul by putting people around him to encourage him. People like Barnabas and Peter and James. This happens so often in life. God puts other people in the life of a person who's going through a hardship. So the application for us has to be this. Be a Barnabas to someone. Be a Barnabas to someone in need. Be an encourager. Be making and strengthening godly, healthy relationships. As the announcement came today, get involved with accountability groups. Get involved with community groups. Join a smaller Bible study. These are great ways to be Barnabas-like. God help us not be just consumers and sit on a seat on Sunday mornings. But be a Barnabas. And third, application that we get to see from Paul's life here, regardless of the circumstances of life, God offers you peace. Peace to live each and every day. The good days and the bad days. Peace in heavy and hard circumstances. Peace in pandemics. Peace in persecution. Let me end with Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. 
in all of these things, we are more than victors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present, things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I'd ask that it would make us marvel at your goodness and your greatness and your love that you have for people. Father, that we, I praise you that people are still changing their mind about Jesus and confessing that they are in great need of sin. I thank you for that in my own life. I pray for those who have not yet come to that point, but that at the exact point that you reveal yourself, that they will change their mind that way. Lord, I ask that you would lift up your people with the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. That we would live lives that really act like and believe that what your word says is really true for us. To know that no matter what may happen to the old body, that we are guaranteed that nothing can separate us from you for all of eternity. So I thank you for the peace that you give to us in the midst of all that is chaotic and weird and wrong and broken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.